0: Back then, you think back to whatever the opportunities were in, say, the US, North America, for publishing. This is we have to say this is pre indie publishing, pre e-books, even whatever the options were. You have to narrow that down again and again and again by the time you get to New Zealand, because um, very few publishers were taking submissions from outside um, either the US or the UK and even, you know, had to be, um, books had to be set in America quite often, or if you're going for the UK publishers, they had to be set in London. And I hadn't travelled anywhere at that point. I was a high school kid, right? And um, one of the only publishers that was accepting worldwide um, submissions and were publishing books set worldwide was Harlequin, uh, Milton and Boone. And then later, um, you know, Silhouette sort of, became part of that too. So for me, thinking of how am I actually going to get published, it made a lot of sense to start with the contemporary side of things and start by submitting to, you know, Harlequin or Silhouette.
1: That was the voice of Nalini Singh, one of the first uh, women of color to write extensively in the paranormal romance space. Which is something she's going to talk about with us. Author of both the first and second seasons of the Side Changeling series. I love that. I love. I love the way she thinks about that. Along with um, the Guild Hunter series, the Rock Addiction series. And category romances. We're going to talk to Nalini about her journey through romance, um, the way she perceives herself, the role of New Zealand romance authors, um, and what it's like to send your first manuscript off when you're a teenager. Oh, the best. This is Fate of Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Nalini Singh. Welcome, Nalini Singh. We are so excited to have you on Faded Mates in our tra- as a trailblazer.
0: Uh, I'm so excited to be here. I, I love the conversations you both have had. Have, had. Oh, well, obviously yeah. I cannot speak English. Um, <laughs> yeah, on the previous episodes, I really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really fun to be here.
1: Well, we're so thrilled to have you. We're so thrilled always to have somebody... Um, who can talk to us about uh, extensively about a subgenre, and so and and we immediately the second we started the Trailblazers, your name went onto the list. So um, we're so excited to finally be able to do this. Um, why don't we start with where we start with everyone, which is how how did you come to romance? Why romance? Um, you know, it's I'm one of those people who has been a
0: lifelong reader, uh, like. You know, from childhood, I so I was born in Fiji, which is a very small dot of an island in the Pacific. Um, I think last time I looked, the entire population is something like eight hundred thousand people, like across, and it's not one island. We say it's actually islands, lots of islands dotted about. But um, I remember then there used to be one big library in Suva City, but then the little mobile. You know, book buses would come. Oh yeah, to this to school. Yeah, and that was my favorite. And I always used to get on and be like, okay, I can't wait until I'm old enough until they let me go into the grown-up section of the book bus because you know I had to be in the kids and young adult section. And um, when we moved to New Zealand, um, there were all these libraries. You know, in in each of the suburbs has a library, and then there's the big central city library. And I was just like. Oh. Uh-huh. This is heaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think my love of writing definitely came from my love of reading, and in terms of how I found myself in romance, particularly, I think you know I started reading romance quite early. At the of Rhodes, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember who those authors were? The books that really yeah, brought you yeah. to the genre. I
0: went to see my aunt at one point, and she was a huge Mosebou reader. And she gave me this whole bag of books that I literally brought back on the plane. So, um, and it had like people like you know Betty Neals and my and Anne Mather,
1: Anne Mather, sure
0: Emma Darcy, Miranda Lee, you know all. All the you know, um, Robin the Donald, yeah, 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 the classics. I, I, I sort of grew up on those. And there was this one book that really made an impact and it was um I think she only ever wrote six romances. Um, Norena Hilliard. Um oh, and I it's I know that name. Yeah, the time is short. That's the title. And I was obsessed with this book. And it's one of the old school Mills and Boons that were quite thick, like quite big books. They weren't the shorter categories now, and um, i mean it's classic classic romance like she's dying of this brain tumor and then she goes to this island and she's falling in love with this guy who's like this billionaire kind of thing i need to reread that because I've, <laughs> I've still got the copy there all i boy. have also
1: bought the first like romances i ever read from the bag in my grandma's basement and it was listen they're still bangers they're still so good they're so and good. She, so she miraculously survives the brain tumor.
0: Uh, I think there's like a, um, uh, there's an emergency surgery at one point. And yes. I think the surgeon had a traumatic past. So like, it was also his, like, cause it is a bigger book. So, you know, you could have subplots and Sure. You know, all of that. And um, they yeah, I just, I just fell in love with those books. And I think it was the emotions that looking back, like when I was younger, I obviously didn't sort of, analyze them in that way I was just reading for the joy of it but I think that the emotional impact of those books really really struck me hard um and that's that was my gateway into romance but then I was also reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy and a lot of those books actually have a thread of romance um and I was realizing that I kind of wanted more romance in my science fiction and fantasy and more sort of world-building fantasy-esque stuff in my romance. So that's how I got into paranormal romance. You know, I just kind of squashed together everything I loved. And um, and I remember finding the first paranormal romance as I read, and I was like, wow, it's a
1: thing. It's a thing. <laughs> so what was that for you? I mean, because I feel like we talk a lot about like 2005 and 2006, like there's this huge explosion, but there definitely were like vampires before, right? So what were the things that you were reading before you started writing Psy Changelings?
0: Oh, I mean, um, they were actually published before, you know. um, Then, So I think some of the authors I was reading was like Christine Fien, you know, her dark series was Mm -hmm. like probably one of the first. uh, And Sherilyn Kenyon, um, those are the two sort of big names um, that we're ahead of the curve, but w- even more ahead of the curve was Jane Ann Krentz, who under Jane Castle and even under her Krenz name, I think sh- she wrote. Um, Sweet Starfire. Oh, yes, yeah, Sweet Starfire, Crystal Flame, you know, all of those books. I, I am an obsessed fangirl of her. Just so, so you are know. we. <laughs> no, we if you haven't
1: read, if you haven't listened to the Jane Ann Krenz episode of Fated Mates, Go immediately is, to do that. It will change oh my gosh. your entire life. It's so good. <laughs> it, it was amazing. Yeah. It was, I think about it all she's the time.
0: She's such a good speaker. I haven't got to that episode yet. So now I'm just going to fast forward to yeah. everything you get to <laughs> it. But um, yeah, like she she was doing stuff, I think, before almost anyone else. And I, I have spoken to her and I have listened to her speak. And she's like, oh, yeah, I almost killed my career doing that. You know, because <laughs> yes, nobody was right? ready for yeah. it.
1: Well, um, and that's it too. It's like if you're before the wave, it's easy to just go under, right? As yeah. opposed to riding it into, you know, claim and a fame. So can we talk about that wave? Because it feels like it was a huge crashing wave in those the early aughts. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how it felt at the time. Was it clear that it was just every paranormal was everywhere or coming everywhere
0: yeah i mean it was you know it was there was definitely a lot of authors coming up with paranormal the funny thing is most people don't realize but i came in on the end um and i remember my editor so my editor is cindy Kwan, who i've had for you know almost well 18 years now i think something like (laughs) that um she said they were actually not buying any more paranormals when my book ended up on her desk. Oh, so, yeah, so, um, but she loves Life to Sensation so much. She actually went to the publisher and said, I know we're not buying paranormals, but I think we should buy this one. So I came in on the, when they said paranormal was actually on the down trend. Interesting. And I think, I do believe the reports of its demise were like, too no. soon <laughs> yeah. you know, didn't feel it, it, like it ended that early it didn't um but yeah so that was an interesting time because there are a lot of big paranormal names already you know the big series were already out there and then um so I came along and yeah so it was really good you know I found an editor that got me <laughs> and um here we are but um it really was the I think the heyday of paranormal as a subgenre because I remember you both probably do as well. You know, um on Smart Bitches Treasure Books they did the save yes. the paranormal save the contemporary kind of Save Con- the Contemporary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it does that seem wild and, now? Probably. I know. And now contemporaries everywhere. But mm-hmm. back then, um, it was historical and paranormal were really sort of ascendant and you didn't really have very many contemporaries sort of taking the spotlight and i think it's kind of flipped now um yeah, contemporaries yeah. are just ruling the roost, um and the other genres are at the back a bit a bit but um i think if you've been around long enough in the industry right. you see this cycles yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are huge boom and bust cycles. I feel like whoever, whatever, like romance gods there are, also ruled like the stock market and like (laughs) the Rockefellers' (laughs) bank account, right? Like just like boom and bust. That's all we know. Well, wait, no, nothing in the middle. Before we go much further, I want to I want to name though that your first book was not Slave to Sensation. No. So could you take us back a little bit and talk to Mm -hmm. us about? the very beginning. Like, why did you start writing? What were you writing? How did that, how did you become a published author?
0: Okay, so like I said, obsessed with romances, obsessed with writing. And I decided quite early that I wanted to write a novel. And funnily enough, one of the first things I wrote was looking back as like a science fiction romance it's like half Russian. and it's like about a prince with lasers coming out of his eyes and you know he can't <laughs> fall in love because his lasers perfect. kill everybody and um <laughs> I was quite young okay and, no, this is but perfect. They, <laughs> but part of it was the reason I so I started in category romance and one of the reasons I started well there's multiple reasons one is that I think for world building I needed to learn all the stuff and I didn't feel I was still doing it but I just never had that sweet spot where I felt like I'd created something different and unique and that I did. It, it, everything felt shallow at mm-hmm. that stage that I was building but I had the romance down right I felt like I had the romance down at least and so and back then you think back to whatever the opportunities were in say the U S North America for publishing, this is, we have to say, this is pre indie publishing, pre eBooks even. Yes. Whatever the options were, you have to narrow that down again and again, and again, by the time you get to New Zealand, because, um, very few publishers were taking submissions from outside, um, either the U S or the UK. And even, you know, had to be um, books had to be set in America quite often, or if you're going for the UK publishers, they had to be set in London. And I hadn't traveled anywhere at that point. I was a high school kid, right? And um, one of the only publishers that was accepting worldwide um, submissions and were publishing books set worldwide was Harlequin, uh, Mills and Boone. And then later, um, you know, Silhouette sort of. Became part of that too. So for me, thinking of how am I actually going to get published, it made a lot of sense to start with the contemporary side of things and start by submitting to, you know, harlequin or silhouette. And I I did my first submission in high school. Okay, <laughs> was
1: amazing.
0: So, so proud. Um, it was a terrible book. Um, but like I'm so proud. I wrote a whole book, right? And it yeah, was That's amazing. The heroine had a broken leg, and the title was And a Broken Heart too." <laughs> amazing. I amazing. still have that book, you guys. Yeah. Um I made my best friend at high school read it, and, and she was
1: like, I guess it's good. Like she she wasn't a romance reader at all. <laughs> but, Wait, so what happened I'm now I need to know. So you submitted. Oh my god, I should have pulled out. Did you out get a letter um, back? Did you get letters back? I got I got like a not a letter.
0: It's like a, a what do you call it, like compliment yeah. slip. Yeah. Like a said, slip. No, we don't
1: want it. <laughs> we received mail from you.
0: That's yeah. all we're willing to say.
1: <laughs> no, those slips um, are legendary, yeah. I know. I still have it.
0: And but- oh my gosh but baby Nalini did a thing that's amazing yeah, I thing. Did and I'm so proud because I knew nobody in the industry like right. I knew less yeah. than nobody like I actually called up the distributor for Wilson and Bird in New Zealand and said oh how can I submit to them and that was so nice because you know Harlequin has those I don't know if they still do they had these forms that they had the um information on how you could submit and the distributor's like oh we've got one of these shall i send it to you this is new zealand guys they're so
1: nice. <laughs> you know nalini you're not somebody else we talked to had it was mary balog she sent it to like the warehouse and somebody and read it and passed it on forwarded on yeah yeah you you have to be a
0: self-starter in this industry and i think um Back then, you know, that was how you did it. Like you had to get in front of somebody. And if you didn't know anything, you just rang around and yeah, until you found some information.
1: Because now there's a very robust community in New Zealand, a a romance writing community in New Zealand. But at the time you didn't, at least you didn't know about it.
0: I didn't know it. So I was, um, I'd actually submitted, I would say probably three or four manuscripts or maybe 3 um by the time i i saw this little article in the, the local newspaper about the romance writers new zealand conference and i think at that time maybe it was maybe the third or fourth conference so I hadn't been around super long and i was like wow i just it's like first time i heard of other people in new zealand trying to do this and I, I knew that Robin Donald and Susan Napier and Daphne Clare wrote for Harlequin. So I knew there were authors in New Zealand who did it, but the idea of actually meeting any of them was just completely like, like, you know, they were celebrities right. and how yeah. was I going to yeah. meet them this right. kid from the suburbs kind of thing. And, um, so my mom actually paid for me to go to the conference as my birthday present. Yeah. So She's always been so supportive. She she had to sit there. I was sitting in the kitchen reading the the prints with the lasers coming out to her. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And she's cooking dinner right now. <laughs> um, oh, I love that. But, her. yeah, so that was At the first time I actually met a group of writers, like basically any kind of writers. Before then, my only access to writers was probably, um, you know, like literary fiction writers that came to school to, to give talks and stuff. Um, and I still remember walking into that room, and it was a very small conference back then. I would say probably less than fifty people, and so it was all we were all in one room, and just you know chatting. And they had like speakers, and they had actual editors from Mills and Boone, because um, they had offices down here, and they would come. and Wow, it was it blew my mind. There was, I learned a lot from IWNZ. And it's just, it's, it's a really nice community of people and it's very small. It's not associated with any other bigger group. So it's IWNZ is its own sort of entity and it's always kept, I think it's heart very well. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have a smaller group, it tends to be like that. You tend to stick together more because I think even now the entire membership is something like 300 people. So it's tiny, you know um just super supportive and so much knowledge and that's where I learned to actually do proper submissions and stuff so all this time I've just been sending them manuscripts single spaced because it costs more money to put less money to <laughs> <all this stuff. laughs> um yeah so that's when I really started to you know do some craft up, learn some craft um But a lot of my learning, I would say, came from just obsessively writing because I just did it over and over and over again. And then I started submitting and, yeah, and then I I actually got picked up out of the slush pile um, in New York. And I didn't sell the first, I think, book that got picked up by the slush pile, but the editor said send it to me directly next time. So I did um, the next book and and I wasn't even writing like three chapters in a synopsis. I was writing four books because uh, at this point it's like book 10 and she asked for revisions and I did the revisions and yeah, that was the book that sold. Diesel who was Warrior. that? Do you remember? Yeah, Diane Dietz at Silhouette. Um, she's not an editor anymore. She was my editor for, I think, two or three books. But, you know, I'll always remember her because she was the one who bought my very, very mm-hmm. first book yeah and so
1: how old were you when that happened
0: uh it was I got the call for the sale the day before my 25th birthday wow that's amazing (laughs) and you'd written 10 books
1: already (laughs) oh my gosh what a hustle
0: I was just I just wanted to do it you know the passion
1: of it I just
0: that's what I wanted to do yeah
1: This week's episode of Faded Mates is brought to you by Andrea Janelle, the author of No Doubts, the fifth book in the Willow Creek series. So as we know, Willow Creek is a nice little small town, and Alaric, who is a driven astrophysicist who has uh, twin daughters who need a chance to reconnect with their aunt, also needs a little bit of time to finish his book. Which, he probably needs, like, a quiet small town. Listen, very relatable. <laughs> what he does not have time for is shenanigans. Certainly not age gap, grumpy sunshine shenanigans with Farah, the adorable niece of uh, the owner of this bed and breakfast that he's in. Farah's whole life has been turned upside down, very topsy-turvy since the pandemic. And she is back in Willow Creek to just kind of have a moment of peace. Um but as we know, uh there is no peace in age gap. Grumpy no. sunshine romance. And, I mean, uh, he can't deal with her sunshine, I bet Sarah. He he cannot he's so deal grumpy. With her sunshine, she is providing turn down service of all <laughs> kinds, I think. And uh listen, if you love a bed and breakfast, a grumpy astrophysicist hero and a heroine who um just wants to uh, give him a little love. Yes, yeah. this is for you. Well, and we've also had readers who are interested in single parents and widowers. So this really hits a lot of the things that sometimes people like in a hero. So you can get no doubts in print or ebook or with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. Thank you to Andrea Janelle for sponsoring this week's episode. So when you, then, like, sort of really transitioned kind of from category to paranormal. Mm -hmm. Did you have a sense that you were really, like, I don't know, like, it just became such a massive success, like, you know, the the whole side Changeling series? Or did you really feel like it was, you know, you said earlier, like, you were too late for it. Like, when did you realize, like, maybe they weren't quite right about paranormal being over?
0: I think when I started to actually when I became full time as a writer because that took several years as well. And also because I'm super conservative when it's, I, I, even though I I quit my day job after (laughs) selling my first book Yeah, people don't do this. It's yeah. I was young. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to quit my day job at any point, might as well be now when I don't mind eating noodles every night, if I have to. Um, I kept doing part-time work for a long time because I really was like, I need to be in a position where I can support myself. Cause writing income is very sort of erratic. You know, it's, it's not like a, um, like a job where you get paid, you know, weekly or biweekly. So, um, yeah, I think when I actually went full time, I was like, okay, yeah, like this is, this is happening. You know, these books have, have got legs and, yeah, maybe, yeah. And I think also, um, I think it was probably around the same time that the first book actually... So the first book to hit, like, the big bestseller list was, I think, the fourth book in the side series. series. Um, so Mind to Possess hit, like, the, the extended New York Times bestseller list. And, um, yeah, it, it really felt like, okay, because I... Prior to that, I was very aware that series, you know, series don't always get room to right. spread. You know, mm-hmm. that readers get, readers don't, you know, get interested in them or for some whatever reason, it doesn't strike a chord. And then that's it. You know, back then right. there was no way to finish them. You just, you stopped and you started writing something else. And so it felt like, wow, this is actually picking up readers as it goes along, which is a really nice feeling when you're starting something completely new. Um,
1: Yeah. Right. So you started the Archangel series. Like, so at some point you had like kind of two paranormal series going, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a very prolific writer, right? You produce. Um, So was that something you just had a urge to write like another series in another world, or were you trying to branch out? Like, what was the, um like, what was your thinking about, like, sort of starting a second new series when we already know that series can be a little dicey? Yes.
0: Yeah, so, so, you know how I said I wrote obsessively all through school and stuff? So, I wrote through uni and I went to law school as well. So, I wrote through that. I wrote through being a junior lawyer. So, by the time I got to be a full-time writer, I was like, I have so much time. Like, I have so much time. <laughs> Because I was so used to writing in really concentrated chunks, sure. like I would have forty-five minutes, maybe if I was lucky, in a day, and I would just write. And so once I got over the, I don't know um, if you find this, Sarah, but like when I went full time, at first I was like, la 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 la, I have so much time. Da, da, da. Takes mm. a while to sit. Yeah, yeah,
1: you waste so much time. I think when <laughs> so you so much time first because you the don't job. realize.
0: Yeah. So, but once I settled down, I realized, you know, my writing pace and the way I wrote was such that I had a lot of room to do something else. And I said to my agent, um, I've already got this one series and it's quite a complex series. And I knew what I wanted to do with it. And I knew it would, you know, the complexity was going to grow. And and I thought, I'm going to write some standalones in between so i'll write standalone stuff which will be easier on my brain mm-hmm. and it'll give me you know like it'll refresh me between the besides changing books and what i did not realize <laughs> is that i write series yes
1: <laughs> is that you can't stop world building <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so especially in paranormal or sort of urban fantasy spaces i i wrote angel's blood and i kept telling myself it was a standalone. And so now a lot of people look back and say, oh, you put the seven in place and they were all going to have books. No, they weren't. They were just going to exist in this one book. You no, know, so that That's was the against plan. the
1: rules of romance. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: so It's quite funny. I, everybody was like, you know, you're writing a series. i was like, no, oh, it's one, book. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. but, <laughs> one um, book. So yeah, it was an accidental series that one. It was just by the time, you know, got to the end, I was like, okay, well, I can't stop now the world was too big and there was too much I wanted to do with it. So
1: did you have a group of, because I'm sort of fascinated by, you know, writing on the other side of the world, right? Right now we're, you know, however many hours apart you're tomorrow, you're in tomorrow <laughs> as we talk. Yeah. Um, did you have a community of, of other writers in New Zealand who you were, who, you know, you were connecting with or, you know, were you connecting with the the other paranormal authors around the world? What, what was your community like during all of this?
0: So uh, at first, you know, I had my local group. They're, they're, they're amazing. And you have to um, remember the online spaces just didn't really exist the way they do now. Um, so I think there were a few message boards and stuff, but I just wasn't on them. I just wasn't aware of them. Um, I think at that time you were really online if you were a bit more ticky, like you, you had the knowledge to to get into those spaces so I was very local and I had such an amazing group of people here I am still friends with them to this day Um, we still get together regularly Um, you know my friend Yvonne Lindsay she she wrote um, tons of books for Desire and she's writing thrillers now under um, Evie Lind Um, she was one of my first friends and then like Karina Bliss you know, um, she wrote the Rockstar books, Um, uh, Louisa George, Tessa Redley. There's so many names. My friend Shah, who is more into marketing side of things, you know, my friend Peter, these are people who have been in my life for 20 years and counting, you know, and it was just such a nice group of people and we supported each other. And on the next level up, so these were people I grew with, right? We all started on the ground floor. We're, submitting, we're we're writing stuff, we're trying things out, we're sharing information. But on the next level up, we had um people like Robin Donald and um Daphne Clare who were really, really generous with their time and um and just really helped support younger writers coming up. They used to run a romance writing course up up north and um, they actually invited me up there at one point and, and they were just so um, encouraging and, and telling me like, yeah, you can do this. You know, this is what maybe you need to do with your work to take it to the next level. Um, so, you know, that they were brilliant. And then we had the writers from Australia who came over and, you know, the conference and stuff like Helen Biankin and um, Emma Darcy, just so much knowledge in those heads. And, um, on the other side of things there's a bookseller here barbara clinton um she used to run barbara's books and um she's retired from that now but she was just a wealth of information because she used to she was a small you know indie bookseller and she used to bring in books from the u.s like books we would get nowhere else in the yeah. major bookstores because mm-hmm. you know the major bookstores just have sort of general kind of general Wait. spread of books she would, She was the one who had, you know, Christine Fian and and Sherilyn Kenyon and J.D. Robb. And and she literally put J.D. Robb in my hand and said, you're going to like this book. And (laughs) I have now read every single J.D. Robb ever created. (laughs) So she was right. Um, But she was just she's uh, still a friend of mine. And just the information that she would share with us because she kept us up to date with what was actually happening in the industry. She used to actually give little talks and say, you know, this is what's selling and these are the new books coming out. And see, I had a really, really lovely community here. And I think I really started to build connections like overseas. um, After I attended my very first conference in the U S which was, I think, in two thousand yeah, 2006. and six. Yeah, two thousand and six. And so you know, I was meeting people face to face. And prior to that, oh, I know the Harlequin boards. There were the Harlequin boards. That's where I met people These before boards, the conference. Yeah, I was yeah. never
1: on those boards, but they were <laughs> legend. I mean, yeah. people people talk about those boards like they were incredible.
0: They were one of the. I think they were one of the biggest spaces for you know, romance readers and writers to interact. Um, and I made a lot of friends on there that I met for the first time at that conference. And then, um, and then from there, I felt like I was online a bit more. And so I started to make connections with people in my subgenre um, because there wasn't really anybody writing that here. So to make those, you know, connections, I had to, um, go online and it helped that to Berkeley, um, my publisher published a lot of people who wrote paranormal. And so I was making friends, you know, like I, I got along really well with Mel Jean Brooke. And, um, so we did, and, you know, um, and then, yeah, I'm just, the names are just going to go out of my head, like I said, but, you know, there were so many people and we used to get together and, and do like, um, you know, promotion things together and all organized online and yeah. So, the community has grown now, I think, considerably um, because I've been around a long time and I've met a lot of people, but also I've met people just online. There's people I've never met in real life, but because we've been friends for so long online, it's, it feels like a, you know, it is, it is a friendship just as deep. Yeah.
1: This week's episode of Fate Mates is sponsored by Lumi Labs, creators of Microdose Gummies. Well, Sarah, let me tell you, as you know, I have been sick. I know, for like weeks. Poor baby. For weeks, I've never really been this sick. And I have. am taking a lot of medicine, but I've also been supplementing with some gummies because there have been times in particular where um, I'm just like so overtired. I almost like have a hard time falling asleep. Or another thing that was sort of happening was... Um, like just like the cough, like I was coughing so hard and I just like wanted to like, just like chill out ever so slightly. And so I have really found like a, once again, the microdose gummy has really come into play for me. So in that case, it was just like kind of managing my pain and helping me sleep a little bit, which is one of the very many benefits of microdosing, which you can find out more by going to microdose.com and finding out about how these gummies can deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC to help you feel, in this case, a little bit better. When you have whatever Jen has, bronchitis, forever. Microdose gummies are available nationwide. They can be delivered directly to your door in all 50 states. To learn more about microdosing THC, you can just do a quick search online, or you can go to microdose.com. Uh, and learn more. And while you're there, use the code FATEDMATES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links, as always, can be found in show descriptions. But again, that's microdose.com, code FATEDMATES. Thanks to Lumi Labs for sponsoring this week's episode. So you mentioned readers earlier. So can you talk to us a little bit about your reader community? Um you know, is there a moment you can share about sort of the personal or emotional impact that your books have had on readers?
0: Yeah, it's, um, I remember getting my very first uh, email. You know, that was pretty amazing. It was a fan mail and it was from Nigeria. It was <laughs> the, the first person ever to write to me, it was from Nigeria. And then, um, so apparently, it's a huge, huge romance reading community over there and I actually got letters from there as well Um, but yeah I I, one thing that happened after Slave to Sensation which I which I, I guess I wasn't ready for because I hadn't realized what I'd done so this sounds kind of weird but I started getting letters saying oh my god it's so nice to see a person of color as the heroine and, okay, I am a person of color and I had never realized that all these paranormals I'd read had no people of color as the hero and hair, the main protagonist. And so I I was like, whoa. And then I, I went back and I looked through all these books and I was like, wow, yeah. And so that I kind of felt like I did something there, you know, that I was I was giving something to these readers that, hadn't existed before. Um, and so that was one thing that happened that really kind of struck me and it struck with me to this day, you know, getting those messages because they just started coming organically. And then I've re- I've heard some really heartbreaking letters from readers over the years who who've read something at a time when they just needed to to read and escape and And that's why I I say when someone says romance is escapism and I say, what's wrong with that? You know, sometimes you need to escape in like a really bad situation. And, you know, like I've cried, like some of these letters are just so heartbreaking. And, you know, I had to actually ended up becoming friends with a lady who wrote to me and said she was going through chemo and she really wanted to know the end of this particular thing and she wasn't sure it was going to be out by the time. Cause she was in a bad like situation. And so I actually, I actually told her what the, and I'm going to cry, but Mom. she did beat it. And then we stayed in touch for a long time. And then one day she didn't reply anymore. And I, I still think about that. And I, I think she's um, that in the end, you know, that, it, that she did pass away, but It's these moments that you build connections with people that maybe you will never meet um, and having an impact on their life, whether, you know, big or small, you know, I, there's one letter I remember where someone wrote to me and they just had a bad day. You know, they just had a bad day. Someone yelled at them at work. They got splashed by the bus while they're working home. They were completely wet and, they came home and there was bills on the floor, you know, in the letterbox and they were just crying and then they saw their book had come. And then they just decided, you know what? They dried off, they opened the book, they made a cup of tea and they read and they just sort of found a little piece of happiness. And I think that's just as important, you know, just those moments we give readers. Yeah. So I, I never take it for granted. You know, I, I think it's such a beautiful connection we can make. Uh yeah.
1: Well, and you do such powerful fan, I mean, reader service. You're so connected to readers. I'm a subscriber to your newsletter. I see how much work you put into your newsletters. Um I wonder if you could think if you could talk a little bit about all of that craft that you do, that sort of the writing that you do that is for readers without any, you know, they don't have to buy it. They don't they just you just provide it to them. And I think that's really special and very unique. I don't think there are that many writers who do that kind of, of work for readers. And for people who don't know, I mean, like, you have so many short stories, for example, in the side Changeling world. Like, there, there's all these on-ramps that are... You know, it's not just like the novels, like there's so much like extra stuff. And it really is like delightful as a reader to like feel that there's just more out there. Well, and it comes, it feels like a gift every time an email comes through.
0: So thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of started because I was writing stuff just to explore characters and things. I would just write because some of them are vignettes, they're not full short stories, so you have to know the characters to to appreciate. And then some of them are full short stories, you know, with the beginning, a middle, and the end. And I remember, because I'm a reader, I'm a reader at heart, so I was like, what would I like to get, you know, as a reader? And I was like, I want to know more about my favourite characters. You know, like, I'm the person... Who's making up the story in my head after the final page of the book? Because I want to know what the next bit of the story is. And so I actually asked my readers, I said, Do you want the stuff? And they're like, Of course we want this. What yes. are you talking well, about?
1: Yes, <laughs> so, we want the stuff.
0: Um, so that's how it started. And I still do it for the fun of it. Like I, I write these at night when um, usually or just randomly I'm sitting in an airport. I'll I write it because I, these characters live and breathe in my head. Um, It's particularly in the series because I've lived with them so long. They have their own personalities, you know, they have their own quirks. And the timeline of their story continues past the books. And so in the newsletter, it's just, it's such a nice way to be able to share that with readers. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been very organic. And I always think, um, in my newsletters, what do I like getting from other writers whose newsletters I subscribe to? You know, what makes me happy? What makes me want to open? Because I don't want, I've always thought of my newsletter as like a connection with my readers. So I don't want them to see it and I think, oh, another newsletter, you know, it's just delete right. because we're all subscribed to so many things these days. So I want it to be something that they actually want to open, that they want to read and that that actually gives them a little bit of happiness in the day. And I I always find it so cool when people email me and say, oh, I saved it to read with my cup of tea in the afternoon kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And I thought, that's so cool. You know, that's what I want. And um, I used to do it completely on my own. Uh, I have an assistant now, so she helps with putting links and all of that, you know, doing the formatting and stuff. So that's really helpful. But the writing is still me because I think it's really important that I'm the one that's speaking to my readers with that newsletter because it is a one-on-one connection um, with each reader. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I have fun with it. And I think it's, I think if somebody else was going to think about doing stuff like this, you have to have fun with it. Like, you have to enjoy it as a writer. And that's what comes through. Like, you know, I write these fun little stories about the bear cubs, you know, getting covered in flour because they decided to bake a cake in the middle of the night. And that cracks me up. I just, I'm laughing along as I'm writing. And so it doesn't feel like work, you know? It's just like, I'm just having a bit of fun. It's just and joy.
1: Yeah, it's just joy. So I actually have one of my very, so I have two very good friends named Kelly. And I, one of them is a huge side Changelings reader. And I was like, okay, Kelly, what do you want me to ask Nalini? And she said, <laughs> like, is Alice Eldridge ever going to get a story, a vignette? It, and anything and I was like, I'll ask her. this is the first time says. for a Trailblazer interview where we've yes, I know I was like I have a very personal question from a friend of mine, Alice Eldridge, what's gonna happen?
0: So Alice is an interesting character because even though we have known her for a long time in the book world, the timeline hasn't actually moved very fast. like it's right we the Saturdayary series started in 2079. And we're in 2083 now. Um, And so Alice hasn't had a lot of time to adapt to what's happened. So that's the, I've never forgotten her. I never forget any of these people, but when I, with the side training series, there is a very strong overarching story structure. And so it's always like, who, who is important to this part of that story structure? So Sometimes it's like, well, I can't actually get a character in just to get, just because I want to see them, right? Yeah. So the answer is I haven't forgotten her and it is possible. It is possible something will happen, but
1: she hasn't, she's not growing really old or anything at there. (laughs) I have a structure question for you. Um, I wonder, you know, sometimes you talk to authors, especially authors who do such intense world building in paranormal or urban fantasy. And um, the series is complete in their head. They maybe haven't gotten to the end, but they know what the end game is. They know how many books there are. They know sort of what the plan is. Do you, but your world, like *Side Changeling, you know, there's this intense world building, um, but it sounds like what you're really saying is you don't have an end in mind like your is it expansive in that way or do you have a sort of eventually we're going to get to this place idea?
0: So it's a, I'm a little bit in between. So basically, I I think it's really important when you start a series to know yet because mm-hmm. it stops the tangential sort of meandering off into
1: these extra la la land. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So um, if you look at the first series of the side changing series, um, book one to book fifteen, it is a very specific. Can I just spoiler things? I'm just going to yeah, spoiler. Sure. Yes, that's like, fine. Yeah. So we begin with silence. And by book 15, silence has fallen. Okay, so that was the main arc of the that first season. That's what I that's what I wanted to do. And originally, I thought that would be where the series ended. Because, you know, we have the beginning and we have the ending. And I was really satisfied with the, the, the story I told. But then I realized when we got to that point that, what now? Like I messed everything up for these people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So the problems are still there. Right. So the next season began very sort of naturally from that point, which is, okay, we are at that point where silence has fallen, but the silent is not in a great place. You know, they still have the issues that led them to choose silence. This, this choose this life without emotion. And so what are they going to do now? And then I actually had to sit down and think about what I want to do in season two. Mm-hmm. So season two also is going towards a particular point. So I'm always okay. leading readers towards a particular point. The one thing I don't know is how many books it'll take to get there because that part I allow to just happen naturally. You know, it could
1: take 10 books to get to the end of season two. could take eight books. I, I don't know. You know, it could it could take another 15 i love you that you talk about them as seasons it feels it feels right
0: yeah because I, I learned this from watching television because sure if you look at a really well-written series of television you'll see the arc it's complete and you have that satisfaction even though you might be going into season two with a different arc and so a really good example of this it's an old series is heroes the first season of heroes is really well written it it's it's structured so you can see where it's leading. And then you see the series where they start out with a really good concept, but they actually haven't thought yes. of the ending. Yes. And so,
1: and, and then messy. you don't get,
0: it's messy. So I didn't right. want the mess. And so I always, I consciously, I'm not a plotter as such book by book, but I plot that series arc. Like I know, I know where I'm taking my readers. I know where we're going to end up. And for me, that's enough. If I have that, it keeps everything else in order. Like if I have that overarching storyline.
1: And when you say, you know, where you're going to end up, is it also, is that as clear for you in terms of the couple that that book is going to be? Do you know, sort of, do you think about it from the character perspective too? Like there is a big a, a big book that we'll, that we'll be moving toward?
0: Sometimes, sometimes. And then every so often I get a bit of a, a shock because it <laughs> doesn't quite work out yeah, how same. I think so sure. yeah <laughs> so i leave that open like that's why people say oh so and so are going to get a book like maybe we'll see yeah. you know we'll see. um yeah so it's it's because there is growth in the series as well like i am not a person who has mapped out my character arcs five books ahead it's so every so often someone comes along and it's like I am really interesting <laughs> 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 or, or there's something unusual happens. And, you know, and, and so I like that. I like having the flexibility, but again, because I know the overall arc, it doesn't matter so much. I can let my characters grow naturally and just go with it because if a character is growing towards the main story arc, they just, they're the one who's going to end up with the book. Um, And if a character is going away from the main story, they'll still be there in the series, but they might not end up as a main protagonist. Yeah.
1: So, you know, you go from paranormal to, you know, a rock band and, you know, uh, 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 like rugby players and, you know, what... I mean, Rock Hard is probably one of my favorite books of all time. Like, I've read that book so many times. So what is it about, what made you want to sort of step away and do a contemporary series kind of in the middle of all that?
0: Um, I think it was, again, that thing of um, needing a change for my brain. Like, because at that point, I was writing two two paranormal series. So the Guild Hunter series, a little bit more urban fantasy. And then I've got my Paranormal Paranormal series and I was like, you know, I really need a something different. And I, I do like to challenge myself as well, just to see if I can do stuff. And quite often I will just write it. I'll write the book and then give it to my agent as like a whole thing. <laughs> I, I don't advertise it. I don't tell anyone I'm doing it because I think it's good to just do stuff as a writer for myself to, and without any pressure. Um, and if it, if it doesn't work, then it's fine. you know only I know about it (laughs) um so yeah but the funny thing with rock addiction which started the sort of contemporary books is actually started writing that years ago years before it was published but I just wasn't in the right headspace to to do it I kind of feel like I don't know I just didn't feel right and then one day I was going through my my you know works in progress and I was like oh I remember this one and I just and that day I was just I had it, you know, it it just worked. And so I ran with it and, and it didn't feel different or unusual to me because I did start with category romance, which is contemporary romance in a short format. So I just was able to move into contemporary romance in a longer format, which I think suits me better. I was never a very good category writer. I mean, honestly, I could not sell hardly. I wrote Slave to Sensation because I was just enraged because <laughs> <impressed. laughs> i could not sell um into category because i just i
1: you know it's the square box round hole thing i just didn't Who's the wrong market. distance for you mm-hmm. right yeah some people run a marathon some people run a 10k it was like it was too
0: long like i just like to write longer and stuff but um yeah so it just it just felt really natural to you know do contemporaries um and um, yeah, and so the same with my thrillers that I write now, it's something different right. to,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so I can, I have a bit of a break between the paranormals, which I love, like I will always write speculative fiction in some way, I think. Um, but it's really nice to do these other things as well. And I feel like I learn new writing techniques with each
1: kind of different thing I do. Mm hmm. So what would you say are the hallmarks then of a Nalini Singh book?
0: <laughs> so it took me a long time to figure this out. Like some of my friends are like, oh yeah, this is, this is like my, oh, they used a particular word, you know, like that's the fingerprint. of story. Core story. Of, yeah. story. Your core story yeah. 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 And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it took me a long time. And I realized it's the same thing I like to read. is the same thing I write, which is I write, I write families Um, so not just like blood related families I write um, found families you know I write friendships that are like family you know I have you know I have the arrow squad which is a squad of lethal assassins but they're all tightly bonded to each other you know I have the brothers in the rugby series you know Bishop Sarah I have the rock band and I, it's really, really rare for me to write books that are are a couple in total isolation. I've realised I write community books, which is there are links all over the place. People are connected. Probably one of the ones I've written where it is a very isolated story for the romance is um, part of Obsidian.
1: Mm-hmm. You know yes. they
0: they yeah they are very much alone for a lot of that book, but the characters themselves are not alone. So. Caleb, who is determined to walk alone and determined not to sort of make any bonds has somehow still managed to have two best
1: friends (laughs) in his ravine.
0: Yeah. He, him in his ravine. He just wants to be alone in there except for Zahara. And, and, um, and so I don't tend to write super isolated characters, you know, and, um, because I really love exploring all the bonds, of relationships, the romance, of course, you know, the love, but also friendship, family. Um, What does it mean? What does loyalty mean? And what do people do for each other, you know, because of the love or even not, not just even the positive emotions, but the negative ones as well, because they're quite complex. Then People can make choices where you think that's a bad choice, but you can see why they made it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love, I love all that stuff. I love, I guess the, how would you say it? All the, all the rivers of the human heart, you know, that's, that's my, my core story is, yeah, Yeah. the community and yeah.
1: Well, to that end, do you have, what are the books that you hear the most from readers about? Is there a book that you just hear about all the time? Out of obsidian, out <laughs> of obsidian. Yeah, it's
0: from the Side Change series, and then from the Girls Hunter series. It's um any of the Elena and Raphael books because mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think with that series, it's unusual in the sense that it's a romance series, which is there together, but it's like an urban fantasy series, which is they keep coming back in the books, and so a lot of people, it's a long love story, you know. And so people are excited to see them again. But yeah, of a a single book, it is probably hard of Obsidian.
1: I mean, I believe it. I feel like it's so hard when you are like looking forward to a book for like books Mm -hmm. and then to have it be like even better than you thought it would be. Right. What a gift. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Nalini, do you have, I know that this is an impossible question, right? Because we love all of our children equally. But is there a book you that is really special to you for any reason? I mean, something that you're one that you're ex- especially proud of or you had trouble dr- leaving behind or whatever that means to you.
0: Um. So I think, okay, so I'm going to cheat and I will say two because... Allowed, that's allowed. <laughs> it's, it's for a very similar reason. So Desert Warrior will always, always have a special place because it was my first published book. You know, I have the poster on my wall. You know, and it's just—I remember all the feelings of holding that book in my hand and feeling like, "Wow, I did it!" You know, it's this. Well, especially since you—you
1: really walked the road for a long time for that.
0: (laughs) I did it the hard way, (laughs) Um, and then for the same reason, slave to sensation, because slave to sensation really catapulted my career into just a whole different level but I just remember writing that book just compulsively like the story was just in my head and most of my first drafts are terrible like nobody sees my first drafts right but this book, a lot of the first draft is in the book, like the published book, because it was, it was like the story had been growing and growing and growing in my head all these years. And then it was ready. And I just had to type it out. Like I just literally, that's all I did. I lived, breathed that book. And yeah. And it's just, it is a seminal book in my career. And it's just, it is the place where people really heard my name. Um, you know, when it came out, a lot of people actually said this is a debut because they had never heard of me, even though I had right, never six work. Yeah. books. Right. Yeah, so it's, it just is a whole, yeah, it's, those two books are really pivot points in, in my life, um, in my career. So yeah, they'll, they'll always, you know, have a special place and the original purple cover of Place to Sensation yeah, <laughs> just still makes my heart. Um, thud, because I remember looking at that cover And I was in Japan at the time I was working in Japan And the cover came through And I was like oh my
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it had um, You know, I had a quote by Christine Fearn On it Oh, it's, Which is I so special yeah. I know, I almost died when she gave me a quote Because I was like She read my book I, I was <laughs> right. just like just I was just overwhelmed And um, yeah, yeah So Two very special books you know but it's true I yeah, we love all our books I think it's every book is the favorite like you just that's why yeah you're but there are some that it. are
1: more special they, <laughs> they do feel special amazing well thank you so much for being with us yeah this was a real joy I'm so grateful we're so grateful to have you yeah, this is really fun like you two are so easy. <laughs> Thank you for your gorgeous books and thank you for leaving such an indelible mark on the genre. Thank you. I'm still going. We'll see what's next. Yeah, keep going. Oh no, well, I think absolutely. we are hungry for more, right? <laughs> I mean, I open that newsletter every time it comes in. So yeah, oh, yay! I'm <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so happy. <sighs> She's great. She's great. I really was amazed. The story about sending off manuscripts when she was a teenager is amazing. What an amazing kid she must have been! My God, when I was a teenager, I was no more prepared to do anything like that than I was to fly. I could barely write my college essays. Everybody, so clearly, that was not. She's writing book after book after book. First of all, and her and a broken heart too. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) the greatest. The greatest. the greatest. We're going to all be scouring KU for the next couple months, seeing if it'll pop up. Yeah. Um, no, but what a, what a great story. You know, every single one of these authors has such a unique story, but it was really interesting to me because you caught it, too, as she was talking about how being in New Zealand, she, like, called the warehouse in New Zealand because right. what else do you do? And I was like, I think Mary Bala told that same story. Right. Yeah, And, you know Mary Bellog also did not live in the United States um although i think at the time she lived in Saskatchewan so um but it was really it's just so interesting because you hear so many stories that is a real old fashioned way of submitting a manuscript the gone are the days when we like wrapped up our wrapped up our, our paper and uh, mailed it to God knows where in New York City. The thing that's kind of amazing about it, too, is, I mean, her first book was published in 2003. We are not talking about that long ago. So Mm-mm. it really is kind of when you think about it, how I mean, when you live through a revolution, it just seems like, you know, that's how it happened and it's no big deal. But when you think yeah. about the the sea change in publishing, With you know, I mean, like, like you know, like she said, there was no self-publishing. You had to go through a traditional publisher. There were only two places that would even consider you if you weren't in the U.S. or the U.K. I mean, it's almost impossible for us to imagine that now. No, absolutely, because now the world is so small. But she kept. There were so many moments that felt that way to me. You know, when she talked about finding a community, which. I mean, of course, at the time in the early aughts, there wasn't a hugely vibrant online community of romance people that authors could go to and say, you know, how how do I do this thing? There was no there was no place to ask questions. There was no hub. These women really were flying without a net. Yeah. The thing I I kind of kept thinking I should ask and then she was just such an interesting speaker i didn't really want to interrupt her necessarily and the things that she wanted to talk about is i do think one of the ways in which her books are singular is her ability to, like, reboot a long series that Mm -hmm. is in progress, right? Well, she talked a little bit about that, too, with Side Changeling, right? And the the way she thinks about it as seasons. Yes, right? Because many people have said, like, you know, you could start at Silver Silence, which is what I would assume would be, like, the beginning of season two – and it's really interesting because I think that it's so smart for her to say, like, I took this vision from television seasons. Because if you're writing a long series, mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be really – you have to provide those on-ramps Well, for there people. are movements, right? When we did – when we talked about IAD in the first season of this podcast – You know, we talked, we broke up the books in movements and who knows whether or not Cressley Cole felt that those were the proper movements. But what I was getting at when I asked her, like, could she speak a little more about, like, characters and and the way she thinks about prepping books or prepping a series for the long haul with characters? I think it's really interesting and it speaks to her obvious past with uh, fantasy and sci-fi that in her mind, it really is about the overarching world. That's whatever's happening outside of the characters themselves. Because, I mean, you and I have talked about this so many times. We are obviously intimately familiar with a different paranormal series that is clearly moving toward a final book in the series that is a character book, right. not a book. Not a, right, not a plot, right? Not a plot. Not not. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a really interesting difference in the structure of right. You know the way you craft a series. Well, I mean, and, and I, you talk I, about it felt like this in when we talked about crest by Ice," right? Like right. We the world building in Nalini Singh's books is just superior to most other uh, paranormal romance series. I think. And that's not to diminish the world-building of series, but, like, she's just superior. Yeah. Well, and I I loved when she talked about, like, essentially, like, well, I was going to do a little standalone. <laughs> and then Yeah. And then, oops, oops, there are seven of them. What are you doing, lady? <laughs> <laughs> you grew up reading romance novels. You know the rules. You know how this works, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I think the other thing that is also really interesting to me, and I think that there are – I think Nora Roberts is probably like this. I think Jane and Krentz is probably like this. Is like the people who are just they're writing the books, but then there's all the other writing that they're doing. Yeah. Right? I think Christina Christina of Christina Lauren is like this, just like writing all the time, that writing is a reward. And I know for a lot of authors, writing really is work. And I think that there's a lot of I am the way that she has figured out a way to take those little vignettes and stories and just like kernels of ideas and like gift them to her readers is part yeah. of what makes i think it's don't, just such a rich world yeah yeah but don't you feel a little bit like this is particular to paranormal you know, i mean, mentioned christina i think you mean lauren from christina i do lauren. mean lauren yes yeah, sorry I do but, mean Lauren. so setting aside lauren who is you know a special case I feel like every time we talk to a paranormal author, they're just always yeah. Maybe. They're like Christine Feehan. The certainly. world is enormous and expansive, yeah. and I'm always thinking about them. I think about J.R. Ward saying, "They just I'm the scribe. Yeah, they just tell me the story." And it sounds wacky when you think about it. You know, when you're talking to one of these one of these authors at a time, but now that we have the 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 joy of of you know the longevity of the series of the trailblazers i'm starting to really think like oh no this is like yeah this is paranormal you know she mentioned mel jean brooke who i have to say everybody we talked about this when we did our Vane episode but mel jean brooke is millivane um and i want her to come on the podcast very badly so we can just you know grill her about heart of blood and ashes but also that's another person who i think like clearly is deeply invested in right the world in a different way world yeah and that's not to say that i you know historical authors or contemporary authors aren't invested in the world but it it is a different field or am i wrong no i mean i think that's like a really interesting observation i mean i think that there's just people who I mean, I just was really fascinated by it. I really liked hearing her talk about how much joy she gets out of like playing around in the parts of the world that are not going to be a whole book, but that doesn't writing like like, Azinia and putting it out there. And I mean, there is a joy in receiving those as a reader when you're like, and I can understand her. I I was I really appreciated her saying like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you enjoy them because. I can, I certainly have written a number of times, like, just, like, a little tiny thing mm-hmm. that's, like, here's a little thing that the characters are still doing. And I think, is this, like, navel gazing? Is this just me satisfying my own desire to, like, return to this world? Like, do readers really want this? And uh, so, I don't know. That was very relatable content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that is fascinating, if you think about it, is I don't think I put together the idea that, you know the world is actually moving so slow, right? Like oh, I know. I didn't do. I didn't realize that either. And I thought that's wild. So she has right? to put a character on ice for yeah a because while. they're not ready, right? And I thought that was also really fascinating because, of course, we're thinking in terms of it's been twenty however many books, and she's yeah. like, it's been three years. So everybody, calm down. <laughs> calm down. She. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed hearing her talk about craft. I enjoyed hearing her talk about fan service and readers and talk about somebody who just obviously cares about the way the books are received. You know, and of course, when we asked our question about how readers, you know, how readers engage with the books, I loved that she was sort of surprised, too, by this thing that... I think we all, many of us were surprised by in the early aughts. Like. I'm always really interested in the question about kind of how readers respond in general. Yeah. Right? And I, I mean, we were looking at this before we started recording, right? Hunger Like No Other was the beginning of 2006. Slave to Sensation was the end of 2006. So it's like the parent, we saw the paranormal boom, like just like, going and going the idea that like that by the end of 2006 berkeley was like we're done with paranormal i mean and this was cressley J.R. ward nalini there were i mean there well, were so and many sh- huge series right and i'm sure they just thought that they were at capacity right what how much of a market for their this could there really be Well, and also, let's not forget, right, it's not quite the same as what's going on now in contemporary, because when you have uh, when you when you acquire a paranormal series, you are acquiring a series like you're investing in however many of these books. I mean, obviously, you're not if it doesn't sell, you're not investing in that many. But the idea is like this could become a thing, right? We could end up with two seasons, 20 books, However, many things. Whereas like right now, h- houses are buying one, maybe two books right. at a time. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think that part is really interesting. But I also found myself really thinking about what she said about like sort of starting in contemporary to like sort of get the romance beats down, but that her true love was always going to be in, like, creating these big worlds, right? Yeah, and Uh, obviously. I I think that's obviously why, author, you know, and I I think also that I was really, look, when people talk about, she did not name names when she was talking about TV shows that, like, started with a great premise but didn't have an ending in mind.
0: But I always think of
1: Lost, right? Exactly. I I was so mad. Right? And I just think it's a big reason I don't trust TV anymore, our shows like that. And so I think the to know that, like, you're in, you know, you know, when you're reading one of Malini's books that you were in good hands. It's tight. She's, yeah. She knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when I feel like there is a requirement, obviously, I want every book to feel that way. But that is a required quality for a paranormal. Like You have to know that it's going to hang together. You know my friend Carrie Ryan, who's a who is a YA you know paranormal author um, or YA fantasy. She always used to say like the world building is is where everybody gets gets caught up because you think to yourself like how does the magic work? How what are the rules? And with Nalini, these these characters like these identities have so many rules. Yeah. Well, and and also she was kind of like. Listen, I don't have just one idea. I've got two. And they're in the place at the same time. Yeah, right? exactly. And they've got this long history. It's and, tremendous. Right? I mean, the the, book, the books are amazing. And it didn't surprise me at all to hear her say that people's Heart of Obsidian is the book that Because well, really everyone hits for was people. waiting for Yeah, it. but that's like, the Lothair of, right, you know, like. Right. But sometimes that book doesn't deliver. But I think when it does, that's when you have people forever right we're like I yeah. can't wait to get to this book and then it's so good absolutely I mean what I love is she was I didn't know I I you know I've never met Nalini I had no idea she was so young and now I'm like oh great we have decades more of these ideas right come. what a gift and I'm like right now thinking maybe I'll go reread that rock star series oh god I love books I know. i'm sorry i had to ask about them i really do you know of course you asked about them. i wanted to know about them too i'm particularly fond of the fact that you asked a, a like reader fan i know question. sorry well because like you know this is everybody i'm my, afraid poor kelly is my getting tfa a, friend kelly i think sad. she knew i think she knew she was like i don't think anybody thinks it's really gonna happen but it's, but you know what? I wonder if her hearing she the did. rationale. She did give her the, like, a good reason. It was a good reason. It was a really good reason. <laughs> it's right? not like me when people ask me, and I'm You're like, just like no. no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> she's like, it's just not ready yet. She's still in the oven. Maybe. Well, listen, Nalini <sighs> Singh is going to be writing for another 20 years, everyone. So I think the thing about, like I said, I feel like there are authors who, she's just so good and every one of her books just sweeps you away exactly yeah. right and she seems to be able to do everything yeah right right i mean romance thrillers paranormal it's wild i mean i think i think some of us are just we're just conditioned to do to do it you know more better different and i think i think lenia is one of them we're very she's one of those people who is just we are lucky to be living right. at a time when she is writing. Absolutely. Um Nalini's next book for everyone, it comes out in November. It is called There Should Have Been Eight, and it is a thriller. Yeah. I haven't read her thrillers, so I I'm haven't gonna, either. So this is I'm gonna, gonna be, go do that. I mean, I bet they're terrific. Yeah, this one's set on a remote estate in the New Zealand Alps, and uh there are seven friends together and it sounds like maybe there has at some point been a murder (laughs) i love it i love it i'm into it her books are real comfort reads for me like i've reread *Crest by ice which we read i've read a couple times i've read my favorite i think it's rock hard i can't you know titles a couple times i love that book Mm. what a delight yeah and those rugby books are great very fun. For those of you looking for just like a great sports romance, she can do it all. Well, we are lucky to have her. So we are, we are a treasure. So thank you so much to, uh, Nalini again for making time for us today. It was a real treat to have her. Um, I am Sarah McLean. I'm here with my friend, Jen Prokop. We are together. Faded mates. And you can find us online at uh on Twitter at ThetaMates, on Instagram at Pod. Um, And if you super duper love hanging out with us and you just wish we were more in your ear holes, head over to Patreon and uh, join our Patreon where you have access to our private Discord, where tons of Magnificent Firebirds discuss new episodes weekly and everything else hourly, minutely secondly um and uh you can find information on that at fatedmates.net slash patreon thanks so much everyone